Hey, what's good? This is Rich, and you're listening to Paychecks and Balances, a podcast about the intersection of work, money, and life. So whether you're trying to get out of debt, into a new career, or into a better mindset and mental space, I've got you covered. And on today's show, I'm talking to a young whippersnapper that's knocked off over $90,000 in debt in two and a half years, and we're going to talk a little bit about how he did it. But before getting to that, I wanted to remind you that if you're thinking about making a career move, if you're thinking about changing your day gig, be sure to check out my Change Your Day Job audio course that's available right now on the Himalaya Learning platform. And I really created this for the person that's struggling to make a career move because of the doubt, uncertainty, fear, or just not having a concrete approach to the job search process overall. So if you've been struggling to change your day job or simply secure a new one, visit Himalaya.com slash day job. That's H-I-M-A-L-A-Y-A.com slash day job. You'll get a free trial, which coincidentally is enough time to make it through the course. And I've gotten some good feedback lately, so definitely wanted to make sure that I shared that with you today. As for today's guest, I'm chatting with a brother that graduated from North Carolina A&T into corporate America in the form of Microsoft where he's leading some really important work. And within a few short years of school, he's bodied over $90,000 in debt and recently started a nonprofit called the Dreamers Creative Foundation to help people attain their utmost level of dopeness. And yeah, that is the type of person who I'm talking to today. And we cover where he got his financial foundation, how he tackled the debt, the role mindset played in his progress, and something I really loved, this idea of giving yourself grace, And we do talk about a lot more than this. So this is just a sample of the conversation. So without much further ado, here's my chat with Malcolm Hodge. Listen, learn, and prosper. Malcolm, welcome to the podcast, man. What's going on, Rich? How are you? Doing well, doing well, good sir. So for those that are unfamiliar, uh, tell the Paychecks and Balances family a little bit about yourself. And also, I realized you asked me how I was doing. I immediately said, tell the audience about yourself. So how are you doing? And then tell the Paychecks and Balances family a little bit about yourself. That that was a good catch. I feel like people typically don't do that, but I'm doing totally fine. I'm, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. I know you mentioned that you've been listening to the podcast and um, and you'd reached out to me via IG and sent a really thoughtful message. And then I went and checked you out on another podcast was like, I love what this brother got to say. And uh, you got a pretty interesting story overall. And I mentioned in the intro to the podcast that we we're going to talk a bit about how you got out of this lump of debt and, and we'll come back to that. But uh, yeah, for, for those who, who haven't come across you in these internet streets, who haven't heard you on another podcast, tell the folks a little bit about yourself. Of course, of course. No, I, I I remember that note like it was yesterday, and I'm I'm glad I'm, I did it. Uh, again, my name is Malcolm Hodge. Uh, I currently live out here in the Pacific Northwest. I'm working for Microsoft. Uh, I lead a strategy for our hardware devices, uh, and I guess I could call myself a self-proclaimed personal finance nerd. So I think that's a a, a good download. And what got you interested in personal finance in the first place? Very interesting question, and I'm glad you asked. Uh, when I first graduated, um, I graduated about almost three years ago at this point. Uh, I was, again, I said I live out here in the Pacific Northwest. I was really just trying to get into a rhythm of a routine of what exactly I was going to do in this adulting world. And in that 
exercise I was trying to figure out podcasts to listen to. And of course, I came across the Paychecks and Balances podcast, which has been uh, a phenomenal experience over the years. So I know I already said thank you for bringing me onto the show, but I, I really mean that. This is, I would say, a, a full circle moment. Like we'll, We're going to dive into some of the milestones that I've been able to achieve, but a lot of that has come from just the mindset that I've been able to build from a lot of the people that you've brought on the show. So each and every guest, I'm going to see what they've got going on. What are they learning? How can I learn from them? So this is full circle moment. Even to start listening to personal finance related content, that's a conscious decision. You know, Google's out there and we frequently see people, it's like, yo, you could just Google, like just take the first step. Like you got Google or you got Bing, I guess, in in, in your case, so, <laughs> or whatever the browser is now. So what, what was it that led you to kind of take that step though to even where you would start listening to podcasts or even start consuming personal finance content? Because that's something that a lot of us don't do for years, even though we know it's an area that's important. I feel like for me, while I was still in school, uh, I had the opportunity to do a couple of co-ops and a couple of internships. And that time that I was able to spend away from school, that's when I started to pick up the books, the rich dad, poor dads of the world, and started to learn a little bit more about investing. And so I think that seed that was planted while I was still in school, um, then going on to graduate and work in tech, it, it was kind of the world that I lived in. And so when I came across personal, I mean, when I came across your podcast uh, for Paychecks and Balances, the seed that had been planted maybe two, three years before really started to evolve from the content that I was listening to, um, the conversations that I then began to start to have with my own friends and my peer group. So it... I would be remiss to say like the seeds that were originally planted now have just started to fall into fruition. Now, something you said, it reminded me of a conversation I had with uh, Demona Hoffman at the end of this past year. And I think she mentioned where she was doing an internship or something like that. And, uh, and the person said, uh, make sure that you're, you know, getting the four, like your full 401k match and you're not leaving money on the table. And that turned out to be like some of the most valuable advice that she'd ever gotten. So I was curious for, for you, for some of those conversations that you might've had when you were in these various internships, because I do find like, it's not the stuff you go there to do that turns out to be the most valuable. It's like just some of the conversations and other random things that you hear about that uh, many of us don't always have access to these types of conversations. So I was curious for you, was it, was it more so just kind of like random things you would hear some of the more experienced people talking about, or was it from, uh, you know, mentors or, you know, or the, the buddy, whoever was assigned to you when you went in on this project, who was kind of kicking the knowledge? No, no, absolutely. Um, a very, very similar story to the one that you just shared. I remember my mentor during my internship before I came full-time for Microsoft told me to max out my 401k and to just put everything that I could into it. And in that initial conversation, because at that point I had never gotten a full-time paycheck, I was like, okay, I'm getting this advice. And so as a result of that, that was what I did going forward. So to this day, I don't know what it looks like to have a paycheck without all of my 401k taken out of it because of that advice that I had gotten from that mentor. And then I, I guess you could say a second piece from ex from actually the same person was more on a career related front. But during my internship, um, internships, summer internships, typically 90 days, he challenged me 
to meet with 90 different people during that internship. Wow. And I, I'm giving away a little bit of my magic sauce, but it, it's it's fine. Like the people need. That's to why hear you're it. here, man. That's, <laughs> that's why you're on the show. Exactly. And he he said, I challenge you to to reach out to 90 different people while you're here during your internship. And I'm a competitive person, as I'm sure you are. And so I said, okay, let's do it. Um, I did not hit the 90 mark, but I'm pretty sure I hit either 86, 87, very, very close. And after those conversations, what I did, I wrote down one thing that I took away from that conversation. And then I also wrote down the contact information of the person that I met with. And so when I came back as a full-time employee, I just emailed myself the same list that I had while I was an intern. And then I could also go back to those same people and say, ah, I remember when you and I talked about the Mariners, for example, right? And yeah. and the, again, that that piece of advice came from the same mentor. So as you can imagine, this is still somebody that I very much um, talk to to this day and is still extremely helpful. Yeah, that mentorship piece is is huge, and uh, I know we we've talked a lot about it uh, on the show. But and it, it's something that looking back, like I wish, I actually wish I had done a better job cultivating mentors. And I think I've always had probably this uh, inherent tension where there's kind of like what I do by day, you know, having a day job. But then for a while now, I've wanted to grow as an entrepreneur, and I have these various things that I'm doing outside of work. And so it's like, do I need a mentor for what I'm doing outside of work and then a different mentor for inside of inside of work? And But what I've actually found helpful has been uh, working with a coach. So I spent a, a few months working with a coach recently and, and I plan to keep that going forward. But even just like having that objective person who can uh, kind of reel you in, you know, and so that th- that person is is there to be supportive and everything else. But when you're starting to think a little crazy, or even if you're ranting, you know, that person who will listen and then kind of pull you back in and be like, "Yeah, <laughs> I hear you." But so I, I'm curious uh, as far as as having that mentor. Is, is there any other impact that you think that it's had for you, whether financial, professional, personal, that's helped you navigate, you know, some situations that or a situation that you might not have been able to navigate otherwise? No, absolutely. And you you raise a great point. And in like in the spirit of that conversation, like also thinking about a board of directors actually for your own life. Right. And so as I was thinking about the mentors that I was having, I guess as I got older, I started to be a lot more intentional. (laughs) Mr. Senior Millennial, I forgot, I forgot. (laughs) But as I've gotten older, I've started to be a little bit more intentional on how I'm placing those mentors in my life. And so going back to the philosophy of having that board of directors, I would think about having a career mentor or having a personal finance mentor or an entrepreneurship mentor. It's like, the same concept, if if you're going to go to the doctor, right, you don't have the same doctor to to, to be your dentist or to be your chiropractor, right? Like you, you, you have designated people for different areas of your life because they have focuses that will help specialize in that area. And so having that same kind of mindset with my life has helped out a ton. So uh, I don't, I, I definitely would not be the Malcolm that's talking to you today without the, without that board. And how do you get people to buy into you. Now that's, that sounds real salesy and it can sound manipulative, but 
everyone doesn't have to mentor everybody. So the, you know, so, so the people who are on your board of directors, they don't have to be on your board of directors. Even if you ask them, they have the ability to say no or say, you know, I don't have time right now. So what do you think that you've been able to do that's gotten people to really kind of buy into who you are and, and what it is that you want to accomplish so that they want to continue to be part of where you're going? Totally, totally. I think when you're going into that, I think it's almost like the delineation between a mentor and a sponsor, right? And people will say with the sponsor, like this is the person who should be able to advocate on your behalf. Uh, when you're not in the room, um, you guys not might not talk as often as you would with your mentor. Um, and so the way that I think about approaching my mentor is almost the same way that I think about approaching a sponsor, even though they have different roles in my life. Um, and that just being a lot more organically. Like if we're having conversations, um, obviously I'm looking at you as, as the mentee. Um, I'm thinking about things that I admire in you. I'm not saying, hey, would you be my mentor after the first or second conversation? Like it has to be a two-way street. And I personally would like for you to grab value out of me the same way that I'm grabbing value out of you. It may not be to the same extent, um, but I, I think that's what we're all here for. So uh, I couldn't agree more that those relationships are extremely important, especially how you go about soliciting them. Definitely, man. And I'd be really curious because you're in this tech world now. I mean, we're both in the tech world. And so I'd be curious, even your experience just going into this world and how it matches up from what you thought it would be to what it actually is. Because I remember uh, before I even got the uh, gig at Google, I was working back in New York City I got a email from a recruiter saying, talking to me about, you know, a potential opportunity at this company. And I thought it was spam, you know, to, to me, I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, everyone wants to work at a company like Google. Why would they be reaching out to me in New York for a position in California? Don't they already have people out there? Even though my goal was to ultimately get to a company like that, I was just surprised that, that they would reach out to me. So I'm curious what that experience was like for you. Uh, in, in terms of going through the process and ultimately landing there. And I'm not sure if you actually interned there as, as part of the experience. But yeah, what's that, well, what's that been like for you, man, that, that transition and, and what that look like? Well, first, you mentioned New York and you're currently in the Bay. So I, I'm just going to assume that you like a high cost of living. <laughs> I mean, I got used to it. I'll say that the Bay Area is even more expensive than New York City to me. It's, it's, when you're seeing signs that say homes on a budget, low millions, Goodness. it's a pretty high cost of living. So it's crazy out here. I don't like it, but I like the quality of life overall. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. For me, I guess that whole transition to tech, you, you mentioned like the internship before. So I did intern at my company before coming on full time. Uh, but I also had the opportunity to intern in different industries. So I've interned in the aviation industry. I've also interned with uh, the automotive industry. I've interned with the government and I've also interned abroad, right? And so these, this different level of experiences and cultures that I was able to experience before I actually transitioned full time coming into tech, I know everyone says, oh, it's so cool. Like you get paid a ton of money. You get to wear Jordans around the office. Like it's great. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I truly really got to be grateful for the experience that I'm getting because I got to see where, what it was like in so many different places. Um, I don't know if I would leave tech, uh, but I, I, I would just say that from the experiences that I did have before versus where I am now, 
I am very happy where I'm at. Yeah, I can I can imagine, man. It's it's not a bad spot to be. It's, it's not a bad spot to be at all. Are there or is there something that's a common misconception that you get from people about tech or about you know working at a company like Microsoft uh, in particular, especially maybe even given the type of work that you do that you find yourself having to clarify? I mean, like an obvious simple one for me is people think that if they have an issue with a Google device that I can do something for them to get it fixed. And I'm like, don't you understand this company is like over a hundred thousand people. But then there's other stuff where people assume that, you know, like it's all easy and you know, you just have these beds and you just sleep at work. And I'm like, no, actually it's pretty complex. And uh, even though I work with a, a lot of really smart people, I do run into moments where I'm kind of like, how did you get in the door? <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, is there anything that, that you find yourself having to um, dispel as a myth for people or having to clarify about you know, working at a company like Microsoft or, or working in tech? No, I think I, I would say two. One is it's kind of like that um, friend that you have that has uh, the sneaker plug, I guess you could say, who, oh, my friend, my cousin works at Foot Locker. I can go get the new latest release uh, on the flip side at Microsoft. So I, I mentioned earlier, I'm within the strategy and supply chain organization. So I work a ton with our devices. And so every single time a new Xbox come out, um, or a new product within our sur- surface space, I'm always getting a text. Oh, do you can can, can I get this uh, Xbox <laughs> or what about this controller? Or and, and me personally, I'm not even a gamer, <laughs> and so I, I've learned a ton, obviously, from now working in the space. But these aren't things that just inherently come to mind. So a lot of times. I'm looking it up just like you guys are when I'm trying to figure out something uh, commercially, I guess, about the device. And then I think I would say on the second piece, Microsoft, just like Google, is a huge company. I think it's now like 140, 160,000 employees. So your your nephew or your cousin who just graduated and they now work at Microsoft, there's a strong possibility that I do not know them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> there is a very strong possibility. And I think that working there, that might be one of the biggest things that I'm like, hmm, I probably don't know them. I yeah. probably don't. That's a good one. And that's a good because I'm thinking how many times I get, oh, you were, do you know? And I'm just like, and I'll instantly be like, <laughs> no. Like, are they in California? Are they in this function? No, I, pro- I probably don't know them. I can look them up and see their face, but no, I, I don't know them. So I love that one. Exactly. It does make you a little bit more appreciative of the people who in that 1%, and you're like, wait a second, I do know that person, right? And then (laughs) you guys get to make that connection. But that event is so rare. So rare. Oh, man, that's funny. Now, uh, a a big part of the story for you is your journey to getting out of debt, because uh, if, if I got this down correct, you crushed somewhere around 90K in two and a half years. And uh, this also sounds like one of those headlines that you probably see, like, you know, millennial crushes debt and people sometimes revolt against those headlines because they don't think that it's realistic. But we're having this conversation and, and you've actually done it. And I've got a lot of questions about how, how you were able to do it. But part of even being in a position to, to knock off debt like that requires you to have income that's coming in so that you're able to actually pay it off in the first place. So I was curious about your experience receiving a full-time offer and just what that was like for you in terms of seeing the numbers and, you know, the stock and, 
Just what was that experience like for you getting that that first full time offer coming out yeah. of college? Yeah, that's I I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> um, it, again, I mentioned that I did do an internship before I came on full time, and so the way that it happened after after I received the offer and said, Hey, we actually do want you to come back. I sat down with the recruiter and they put a sheet of paper in front of me and they, they had a Sharpie. It wasn't even a pen. It was a Sharpie. That's how I knew it was legit. And they wrote down, (laughs) this is going to be your base salary. And they had the equity and they wrote down um, like the signing bonus and everything. And this number, like these numbers were the most numbers that I had ever seen in my life. And granted I had done engineering internships. And I guess I probably should have gave that context. I I am an engineer, um, but I had done engineering internships throughout undergrad. So I had gotten pretty good offers before. Um, However, like I talked about automotive, aviation, government versus tech, it's different. And so getting that signing bonus, getting the equity, looking at the six-figure base salary, like that that was totally different. It was totally different for me, but it was an awesome experience. I will be honest, that piece of paper with the Sharpie, I still have it. I, I love still, that, man. I, I still have it. I look at it from time to time because I think it's just good to reflect on the things that you have now, like where where I am now, back when I used to want the things that I have now. I think that it's a pretty good um, depiction of it. Now, when you got the offer and you got that information with the Sharpie on the piece of paper, did you tell anybody? Because that's, and we were talking about this a little bit before the show, like having these types of conversations. Sometimes it's a little weird to talk to, you know, friends, family uh, about money, getting into the numbers because they hear you're doing good. And it's like, oh, somebody out here is really making <laughs> the money. Did you find yourself actually talking to anyone about it? Uh, I I would say definitely close family. So like my mom, my dad, my sister definitely knew. Um, but I was apprehensive to just kind of like sharing that knowledge, uh, just out because, you know, it's, it's your personal information, you know what I mean? And that's not something that like, Oh, look, look, look who, what Malcolm has going on. And you're not necessarily privy to what people's intentions are. And that can be scary sometimes. And this, like, that's just me being vulnerable. I, However, I did have, I would say, like two of my best friends who also received very similar offers um, around the same time. And so even though I wasn't able to just have that conversation with everyone, I was able to sit down within like my close friend group and just be like, bro, this is all right. That's cool, because I think even a lot of us within our friend circles, we don't do that. I mean, even even today and I'm. far removed from college. It's not a conversation that uh, I probably have with my boys, though we do sometimes dabble in the stocks along with all of the internet shenanigans that, that are going on throughout the day. And so let's shift to uh, talk a, l- a little bit more about how you got into that debt. And I assume a good chunk of this is probably student loans, but I uh, would love to hear how you accumulated the debt and then what your plan was for attacking it. Because you know, getting out of this much debt in 2.5 years, it doesn't sound real. So I need you to make it real for us. Okay. I, I will make it very real. I'll make it as real <laughs> as possible. And if it's not real enough, then you tell me. For the $92,700 that I owed in student loans, I also owed a car loan um, for my little 2011 Chevrolet that I also owed 8K on. And so like roughly about $100,000. I will never forget the semester before I graduated, 
sitting down with my father. Actually, I had just gotten back from one of my internships and I was just trying to figure out how much money would I actually be bringing home? Right. Like you and like we just talked about, like, how was that conversation with close family? And so I, even though like the numbers looked good, I needed to understand like how much money would actually be going in Malcolm's pockets at the end of the day. And so that's when I got into this entire exercise of going online, finding out how much money it was that I actually owed. And that's when I saw at the time, I think it was about 78 K and then adding interest. And then the additional semester, that's how it ended up at the 92. Um, immediately after that, I remember writing a plan in my phone. I'm big on like Apple notes. Like I'm big on like notes in my phone. And I wrote down a plan and I said, how to pay off your student loans in three years. I hadn't done it yet, but I was just like, this is how I'm going to do it. And so I remember looking at the principal balance that I owed. I thought about how much money would I be paying each month? And so obviously I had to take out a calculator and, 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 pull out the interest versus the principal, because obviously you could pay towards the principal, but you'll still be owing interest after that. And so I went through this whole exercise and I built it out for 36 months. I also, like I'll be transparent, I also factored in the the bonuses that I got from my offer letter that I shared on the piece of paper yeah. with the Sarpie, and then factored in when I would actually be getting that. Because in tech, as I'm sure you're, like, you're aware, but for the listeners, when you're in tech, you, you usually get a vesting cycle for how that equity happens. And so Can I Can you say about, more about that? Of course, vesting cycle? Because there are some people where like just stock, at, like it's just not even remotely part of their compensation. So if you can just give like the quick, in in your words, what you mean by that? Of course, of course. And I'm an advocate for everyone coming to tech. So I'm happy to share like with the vesting cycle, it's say, for example, and I'm just throwing out numbers, say, for example, it is 100K in equity. And they say, hey, listen, Rich, we're going to give you 100K in equity. People love to walk away and like, oh, I, I've had I now have 100K in my pocket, but it doesn't exactly work like that. Um depending on what the company is, it may say it'll be over four years. So we'll do 25% over each year. Um, I've, I've heard of companies that say we'll do um, maybe 40% at the front and then we'll break it down in like 20% over the course of another three years, right? And so there are different scenarios for how that vesting cycle may actually work. Um, and so to that point, when I was going through my exercise, I factored in the vesting cycle that they had shared with me. And so again, the $92,000, I'm factoring in, okay, this is how much I'm going to pay each month. And then each uh, each period that that vesting cycle um, actually vests, I would use that towards the student loans. Uh, and so that was effectively how I had done it. Uh, I think... Back when I had graduated, the plan was that I would be done, I want to say September of 2021. So I'm a bit early, but back yo, to the don't be, Yo, don't be on here showing <laughs> off, man. Don't be, don't be on here. No, no, man. <laughs> but but it's, important why, it's important why I was early, though, because we talked about vesting. Yep. And at the time of where the shares in the company were when I got the offer, that has now, like, the valuation has gone up. Uh, yes. So, yeah. You know what I mean? And so that ends up working out in my favor. So I, I would love to just be like, oh, I, I ended up finessing this side hustle and this happened in eight months early. Wow, this is where I was at. But no, that's actually what happened. Well, 
And I want to jump in there because I think there's something really important within that is that the value goes up over time. Like that's the whole thing. And, And the whole reason that they give you equity is so that you'll stay with the company longer term. You know, and that yep. you'll be more invested in the work and, and and how the company performs. Because a lot of us, we can just clock in, clock out, not really care how the company performs as long as we're getting our paycheck. Versus with equity, if the company does well, what was initially $100,000 in equity over four years can become $200,000. I'm one of the people who was who was really irresponsible with it. Like when I first got that, I was, I was cashing out. I was like, you know, I'm gonna get me a car, cash out. And, and then I ended up still financing a car and not even using the money for that. Though I did use uh, some you know, performance bonuses, equity type of stuff to eventually pay that car off. But there were things that I was like, I haven't had this type, you know what, I'm gonna treat myself. And uh, I didn't initially think so much about how this money could really work for me in the long term. And every now and then I find myself, even today, I, I find myself thinking, Yo, what if I still had some of that like stock that I got earlier on that I didn't just cash out? Like I remember when the stock was five hundred dollars when I got it, and now that same share of stock is you know seventeen, eighteen hundred dollars. So what if I had just kept some of that? And of course, there's a whole conversation around you know keeping too much of your equity within you know one investment and all of that stuff, which we won't get into. But uh, I, I think that it's it's really important that uh, you kind of made that decision early that you were going to be intentional about how you use that money. And which begs the question, why were you so intentional about wanting to get rid of that debt? Because for some folks, they plan to carry it for however many years, even though they may have the money to to be more aggressive with paying it off, they still choose to carry a balance, speaking for myself at some points <laughs> in my life. So what what made you so intentional or what was the impetus for you to be so intentional about paying off this debt in the first place? So I, I, I would say probably two main reasons and they almost kind of fall into each other. But one was I had, when I first came to Microsoft, I had a big brother at the time. Well, I, I, I see him as a big brother who had done the same thing. Um, he was just kind of telling me about his experience with, hey, I got this bonus. I paid off this amount of student loans. It wasn't as much as the 92K, but it was still a significant amount. And seeing that, like that level of exposure was like, wow, this is this is totally possible. Um, and then the second piece was, I was reading a book. It's called Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robbins. And she was sharing the... Um, how to calculate your net worth and how to start thinking about your net worth. And I remember when I read that book, obviously like I'm on Google all the time, like what's Drake's net worth or how much is Diddy (laughs) worth today? (laughs) Right? Like when you're doing the whole Zillow exercise, trying to figure out numbers that have no meaning to you. Um, But I was like, wow, like, I guess like I do have a net worth. And so when I was going through the book and like I was reading it and then that's when I started to log my own net worth. And so you asked the question, like why, like, what really made me want to push towards paying it down so aggressively when I did that exercise, looking at my net worth and seeing that I owed that much money at the time, my my net worth was not kind of negative. It was very negative. (laughs) It was very negative. You know, when people say an adjective twice, it was negative, negative. And so like at the time I knew that that could, that just could not be my story. I I could not walk around and say, Oh, like I'm Malcolm. I've got this, I've got that. And then looking at my own numbers, I'm in a, in a hole. It wasn't attractive. And so for, 
paying it off, can you talk a bit about like what that actual experience was like along the way? Because uh, things come up, things change. You know, uh, I know it's only been a, a, a few short years in in uh, your case, but can you talk a little bit about just like staying at it, and you know, if you had any hesitations or uh, as you're looking back on it, things that you would even do differently at this point. I will say that I held the discipline throughout, and I am very honest. Like I'm, like there have been other areas of my life where I have not been as disciplined as I have been with my student loans, but in that area, I guess. It just goes to show how much it meant to me. But when I first said that I was going to do, like I was going to pay off this amount and this amount of time, like this, the amount that I had set each month, I did not go below. Like there was never a month where I was like, you know what? I, I just can't do it this month. I was super intentional on making sure that that level of consistency stayed throughout. There were times where I might've had to pay for an expense that I might not have wanted to, but I made sure that that came from other areas that was not uh, the student loan bucket. So uh, I think like we, you and I were talking earlier, even before the show about consistency, right? And I think just that level of discipline and consistency and carrying it throughout was super important for me. Looking back, I don't know if I, I would change like how I did it or anything. I think that I probably just would have gave myself a lot more grace. Because now, like listening to the stories, like like you said, it doesn't sound real, like $92,000 in two and a half years. But through that two and a half years, I was super tough on myself. And like my close friends know, like this was something that I've, I've been striving for for a while now. And so there were probably times where I made sacrifices that I didn't want to. But at the end of the day, like that, that was the goal that I had in mind. So I, I stopped at no end to achieve it. Now, you're saying some things that I hear uh, overachievers and superachievers say, and uh, I'm curious, where does it ultimately come from? Because we talked about, I think, liking competition or having something to strive towards. So even being in a position to be getting these internships, to be going to a company like Microsoft, that doesn't just happen overnight. That is the result of a series of good decisions minimally <laughs> because there are always going to be some bad decisions along the way but but that is a series of good and great decisions and then there's also a level of determination that's involved and so if i had to guess i would assume that you probably played some sports in high school or somewhere along the way because you know as as far as it comes to games at least as i am if you can't win it what's the point of playing that's kind of how i feel <laughs> about things but even beyond that where does that drive come from for you ah uh. Yeah, you're, you're digging deep, Rich. Man, I mean, <laughs> that's what I do, man. <laughs> so I, I think that it was two stages of my life. I think it was before I graduated college and after I graduated college. Before I graduated college, like, yeah, you're right. I did play sports. I played basketball, actually, through shot put and track and field. So that was, it's a little fun fact for me. And so that was just like a sense of competitiveness that I think that I carried throughout high school and then even getting to college, um, seeing some of my friends um, that were older than me start to get internships. And I'm like, well, if they can get internships, I can get internships. Like, if they can do well, like, I can do it. But I, while I was in school, and this, this goes to the second stage of my life, while I was in school, I took some time, I don't want to say away because I was still enrolled as a student, but 
I studied abroad and I did co-ops. And for people who aren't aware of what co-ops are, it's when you effectively are still a student, but you're doing an internship during the semester. And so during that time, I was not taking classes. And so I, I, I studied overseas for two semesters in Cape Town and in Sydney. And then when I had did my co-ops, that took me off of my graduation track. I say all of that to say, like, when I think about, like, what were the things that just made you want to go so hard? I really feel like me extending the amount of time that I spent in college and having my friends that I came in with look at me and be like, oh, like, oh, Malcolm, Malcolm's not graduating on time. And like, this isn't happening. Like, that, I think, really got to me. And I think that it was just this burning desire to just show everybody that I could do it. You know what I mean? And I could do it extremely well. Now, because I feel like I was doing well in school, like I was still on the dean's list and stuff, but I think it was just that psychological impact of just like, dude, you're still in school. Like, And and I remember my dad would be like, you don't want to be the one who's in school for five, <laughs> six years. Like my, my dad was that dad. And so I feel like for me, like just intrinsically having to think about that every single day was was hard. And so now that I look back, I think that it's it it's that. You know what I mean? Being able to say, even though it did take me that amount of time, like look what look how fast I've progressed in the year and a half that I did miss. You know what I mean? And so you're digging deep because I, I don't even know if I've thought about that before, like really this conversation. So you know what that makes me feel good in a way, but uh more importantly I'm glad you shared that because I think that that'll resonate with with a lot of people. It definitely resonates with me. And I also think it's okay to be motivated in, in some cases by external factors because, you know, we, you've probably heard conversations where it's like, don't let others dictate where all of that stuff. And there's value in that. But sometimes we're motivated just however we're motivated. And I've had it where uh, I, I've been motivated by doubt before. So someone, so someone doubting me, you know, even because I ran track in college too. And I remember, you know, like there was doubt around like how good of a long jumper I could be or would be. Now my hamstring had different thoughts about my ability to perform, <laughs> but the level with which I worked out and just like committed to trying to jump a certain distance one, I wanted to be the best that I could be, but once I sensed that there was hesitation and, and doubt, like I, I felt this like, yo, I'm going to make this happen. And things ultimately did turn out well overall. I think it's important to know that if you are motivated by at least some external factors, that that's okay. That, that doesn't mean that you're focusing too much on what other people are doing. Now, there is a fine line though, where you can become so uh, focused on what others are doing that you stop running your own race. So I'm curious what, what you think about that. First of all, that was a bar. Like that, that was so good. I, I'm so glad that you called that out. I'm really big on running my own race, but I think that we all, like we're all humans at the end of the day. You know what I mean? And even though, especially in the social media era, when even though like we're talking about, yeah, run your own race. But then when you see everybody else's races on front street, it's just like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to run this race anymore. Uh, I think for me, it's having people in my corner that just keep me grounded on like the things that I value. I've shared before that when I was still in school, I created this list of like, what are my long-term goals? Like 
outside of, I want to be this level at work or like, what are the values that Malcolm really wants to do? Whether that be connecting with people across the world or teaching my family about love and kindness, like those types of things. And so when we get into this topic of running your own race, it's, it's being super deliberate on the things that you're that you hold tight to your heart and that you value. And so going through those values for me, it's an exercise that I probably do weekly. I have it on my mirror and I'm looking at those things. And so when there's something that I might say like, oh, Malcolm, I want to go do that. I pull back and I'm like, okay, well, what are the things that I value? And do I feel like those things are aligned? Now, there is a piece where it's like, you have to give yourself grace because there are things that change. Like you said, like there are life events that happen over time, but like the things that are intrinsic to you, like those things that are core over time, like they, in my opinion, my humble opinion, I think that they withstand that test of time. We are rounding toward the end of the podcast and you've probably heard me say that that before, but One thing uh, I did want to ask you about, because you you mentioned net worth earlier, and I realized that there were a number of years where uh, I didn't really think about my net worth. I was just really focused on my credit score. Couldn't tell you why I was so focused on my credit score. So I'm just curious for you, prior to maybe having some of these these conversations that that influenced you, were you just credit score minded or no score minded? Because it's, it's interesting that People would be posting and talking about their credit score and focusing so hard on this number, even though they're not planning to leverage credit to to buy a home or or to make any significant purchase. And so in some ways, that number is kind of meaningless depending where you are in your life versus like net worth, which I think is kind of important at any point in time. So thoughts on that from you? For I would say for me, earlier you talked about like what were kind of those nuggets or like that advice that you got earlier that kind of like fuel like the decisions that you're making now. When I was right before I started going to school, um, and I haven't shouted out my school yet. So respectfully, North Carolina A and T, I am a graduate, so Aggie pride. Uh, but before I started going to school, my father told me to open up a credit card. It was a small credit card. I think it was like a spending balance, like a spending limit of maybe like two hundred fifty, three hundred dollars. But my dad told me, and this is probably, arguably for me one of like the best advice that I'd ever received. My father told me, you don't spend anything on this credit card that you don't have, right? Like don't go to the grocery store. I'm sorry. Don't like go buy a pair of sneakers that you don't have the money to pay for. And at the time, because whatever my father told me was law at the time, I didn't know that you could actually even carry a balance on a credit card. And so when my father told me that, I was just like, okay, I'm going to buy like groceries or gas with this credit card. And so I would say it might've been maybe four years. And this just goes to show like how much I just trusted my dad. It might've been like four years until someone told me about their balance on their credit card. And I was like, well, wait a second. How did you do that? Because Mm. I'm like, how how does that even happen? And then that's when I, it sounds very childish, I will admit. But at the time I was like, how does that even happen? And so that's when I learned that you can actually carry a balance on a credit card. And so even though very ignorant at the time, that just developed a habit that it was just like, you pay off your credit card all the time. So to this day, I've never held a credit card balance because of that advice I got. 
And so back to your point on the credit score, I didn't start thinking about the credit score because I wasn't even thinking about credit. And yeah. so like it, it was definitely a no score then net worth conversation. Um, now, obviously, like I track my, my, my credit just to make sure that it's in good standing. Yeah. Like it, but um, that that's kind of like the background story behind like just how I think about credit and how that piece of advice at the time, having no idea how value it would be, has just worked out. And it's crazy because um, there's like a deeper, and we're not going to have that conversation today, but there's like a deeper conversation about the importance of access to this information. And when we get into like the historical context, people don't understand why different groups, Black folks, whatever groups are where they are today. And even like that information of like, don't put more, like don't spend what you don't have. Whereas like I hear that and I think about uh, seeing my parents sitting at the kitchen table and paying the minimum balance on credit cards. And so to me, on the other side of that, like that was normal. Like, oh, you get a credit card, you put money on it and you just pay the minimum for years. And like anything else, it's like, why would you do that? You're taking money out of your own pocket. Screw interest, you know? <laughs> and it's part of why I'm becoming a stronger and stronger advocate of this stuff being taught in schools so that people can learn some of these things up front because I find that a lot of the decisions that, uh, especially people who are doing well, and I guess even people who are not doing as well, a lot of the decisions that they're making are based off of lessons that they may not even realize that they were being taught, you know? Your dad saying, you know, just like, like he, he, like he imparted a lesson, which at that time you probably weren't thinking of it as like this big lesson. And there's probably other things that you saw where you were like, yeah, like this is just what you do. Even observing like older friends, big brothers, like, oh yeah, like, you know, you go to school, you make moves and, you know, and you go and get a good job. So I appreciate you sharing that because I, I think that it really underscores the importance of people having access to this information as soon as possible. And so to close it out. You mentioned giving yourself grace, which I think is really important. And so for people who are on their journey, they've got that competitive drive. They're not where they want to be or they're exactly where they plan to be, but they're still coming down hard on themselves. How can they give themselves more grace during this journey, whether it's getting out of debt, building wealth, whatever it is? Uh, I think it actually goes back to running your own race. Giving yourself grace has to be something that you intentionally decide to do. I remember uh, last year, and my close friends know this, I did um, an exercise on writing my smile of the day down. So every single day, like I wrote down, what was that one thing that made me smile? And so when I think about like that level of grace, it also, it, it, it kind of comes from like gratitude and just being grateful for where you're at because you, we, we talk about grace, but it ultimately comes down to like the things that you're thankful for and being appreciative of those things and, and not expecting other things to happen because you're already okay with where you're at. And that's a very hard concept to grasp because I remember when I was younger and someone was saying, uh, you don't want to be too content, right? Like you don't want to be too sad. It's just like, well, I'm never going to be content. Like, it, like never, ever. And it's just like, <laughs> you have to find some level of that. You know what I mean? Like you being content does not mean that you can't go be the achiever you are and be ambitious, but it's just having a level of grace that just shares like that you are grateful for where you're at. And that, that's, that's how I believe. That's what I believe. And that's how I think about it. Appreciate you sharing that, man. Much like everything else we've covered in this episode. So Malcolm, it has been fantastic to bring it full circle and to uh, have you come on the podcast. 
and drop some knowledge on the people and, and just share some really candid insights. So uh, let the PNB family know where they can find you around the web and if there's anything else that you got going on right now. That that's awesome. I've heard that so many times through listening to the show. You guys can find me at Malcolm X Hodge, and that's on both Instagram and Twitter. Malcolm X, like the figure Malcolm X. And I guess the one thing that I have going on right now, I did start a nonprofit uh, at the end of last year called the Dreamers Creative Foundation, where I'm just helping people out out of the grace of my heart because it's just something that I've always wanted to do. So you could find that on my Instagram and Twitter as well. And then there's any way that you want to help out, like I'm happy to advise. So again, thank you for having me on the show. This has been an awesome experience, Rich. Yeah, appreciate you coming on, man. Definitely a lot of fun. Yo, Malcolm is the man. And if I had his sensibilities in my 20s, I'd actually be rich and not just rich. So thanks to him for his candor and being a longtime listener to the podcast. I really enjoyed having this whole thing come full circle, and I'm confident that he's just getting started on his journey of dopeness. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share with your network or at the very least someone that needs it, because the more people we reach, the more people we help. And if you haven't already, come rock out with Paychecks and Balances over on Instagram at Paybalances. A lot of good stuff is on the way, and I'm sharing a lot more than ever before. So thanks so much for listening. And until next time, be safe. I'm out. Peace.